of Everything is Awesome, and this is the show where we sit down and talk to awesome people about awesome things. Uh, and this this episode, oh, this I feel like this is going to be a special one. This is one that is going to be one of the mo- most unique um, podcasts I've ever done uh, based off just the scenario of where, how, how we're, not necessarily how we're recording, but based off of where this person is located... I'm actually not sure how I should ask this before the interview started. We'll let him give it away if that's if that's allowed. But uh, the, when when I was asked if if uh, it was cool to do this interview, like there was a couple sentences in the e- in the in the email message or whatever. Uh, but when it was about space, I was like, uh, yeah, absolutely. There's no way I'm not going to talk about space for two and a half hours or whatever, however long we go here today. Um, Please welcome to the show, CEO of Global Space Organization. Uh, oh God, I already, I already am going to mess it up. Cade Aldowich. That's correct. Oh God. Okay, thank God. I was like, oh my God, I just asked him how to pronounce his name, and I'm already going to screw it up. Thanks for the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me um, on. So uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure how much we can actually say because this is one of the most unique situations. Uh, to do this show under I, I, I do remote podcasts all the time um, but this one like we're working on like a what about a nine hour time difference yes um, and I'm not sure are, are you allowed to say where you're at or, or? Uh, I can just say I'm in Afghanistan and that's about it okay so um, it, so a unique situation uh, definitely the most exotic um, location that I have recorded on, um, it's it's uh, very exciting to me to be doing this, and more so to talk about space and and what you got going on uh, with your company, uh, what you're trying to do, um, and and beyond that. Uh, as I mentioned before, we started the show, uh, and my audience knows I, I try not to do much research. I I like to think of this show as more of um, the show where, uh, you know, if you and I sat down in a bar together, uh, this is probably conversation we would have. So it's like the most truest form. Exactly. So, um, where I want to start, uh, is I guess, um, like kind of your origin story as it pertains to, uh, you know, uh, space, um, why, like where, where does, your interest in space begin how how far back i'm assuming as a kid <laughs> well that's a good question it pretty much it did start when i was a kid and uh, it pretty much started when i was about four years old because i actually witnessed on tv the apollo landing oh okay okay yeah so i've been around for, um, for quite a while yeah, so so that, that's something that uh i would imagine that most of this audience, they've probably rewatched at some point. I don't. I don't think this audience, myself included, uh, is something that we we were uh, around for to watch live. Um, so you have you have more of a, uh, I guess like a classical interest in space. Whereas, like for me, for instance, like 
my interest in space comes from the complete opposite of watching something so realistic and so uh, monumental uh, in that uh, it comes from Star Wars, basically like that's I, I go the flip side of the science fiction. And um, that's where like space captured my imagination. Exactly. Um, so was that um, so the Apollo landing? What what was it just what was it that that grasped? Uh, grasped you like what was it that made you love space from that moment was it the the just the monumental moment of of the time yeah, I think I understood even at that young age yeah, especially from my father my father was uh, was a space nut he was into all the uh, all the old uh, science fiction novels and uh, space was a big thing for him and so I think he kind of impressed it upon me when we were watching the Apollo landings about how important it was and particularly where it was. Uh, and uh, I've always been an explorer at heart, part of the reason why I'm currently working out here. Uh, I like going places. I like seeing new places. I like doing new things. And I constantly like to travel. And uh, space is a big part of that. And part of the reason why I formed this company is because the uh, current uh, world as it is has decided, in a way, not to go back which I never could really understood. So we're going. Yeah. It, it seems like, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, I'm, in, I'm 32. So, so when I was a kid, we'll say like, you know, about, uh, 25 years ago or so, like, it seemed like space was super important. Um, even back then and, and maybe less so compared to when you were a kid, but I seem, it seems like that was an important thing to, to learn about and that, you know, space exploration was something that was important and it's definitely seemingly has died down. Maybe that's just me being an adult, not being in the news as much uh, of that kind of world. But it seems like as far as like, um, I guess a government standpoint, um, it, it's not necessarily like the focal point. I, I think I just recently read an article about um, NASA getting a bunch of funding for, for Mars missions. Um, yeah. You are but, kind of out uh, of the loop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and so this is where, you know, I'm sure like our, um, our age gap, uh, maybe generation gap. Uh, I'm part, I'm like on the border of Gen X and millennial and I'm not, I've never been a big news person. So like I, when I, uh, when I read something like that, it just so happens that I was like, Oh, let me go to Google news. And like, I have, I have 10 minutes to kill. Let me see if there's any interesting articles. And of course, seeing something that says something like NASA gets funding for Mars mission or whatever, um, you know, that catches my attention. I I guess it's like to land up an actual person on Mars or they're getting a bunch of money. But point of the story, point of that, that, that little um, tangent is that, there's definitely um, a push for private space exploration versus um, the you know the, the government aided stuff. Exactly. So um, you your love of travel it sounds like it also begins with the you know with the Apollo landing. Um, let's get into that. Like, when did you start traveling the you know the world? Yeah, when I joined the U.S. Navy, which was in uh, 1984. The so. year of my birth. Uh, <laughs> uh, so 32 years ago, uh, roughly, is, is when you started uh, traveling the world. Ha- have you been 
basically on the move ever since or you know do you do, like do you have a place you consider home uh, aside from the the states itself <laughs> that's a good question no actually I, so I don't have you been own. traveling what's that oh i'm sorry i was gonna say so you've been traveling pretty much nonstop for the last uh, 32 years I've had, uh, as, as a contractor after the Navy, as a defense contractor, I've been uh, to several places, but typically speaking, I live out of apartments here and there uh, whenever I do have to settle down and work for a year or two. How is um, how is that? As I, I used to travel for work, uh, definitely not like that, not <laughs> not as much as you. Uh, my travel, you know, was, was United States and, and Canada. Um, and typically just East coast. Um, I think the, I think I went West coast once or twice and I was only gone for maybe a week or two at a time. I would be back for the weekend and then I'm back on the road. So I had a permanent home here in the Philly area. Right. Um, so what's, what's it like to kind of, I don't want to say live out of a suitcase cause you're not necessarily doing that, but you're doing uh, definitely something in between living out of your suitcase uh, and having permanency. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of benefits to it. There's things you don't have to worry about. Uh, you just live, work, and uh, and do what you like to do. Uh, so. <clears throat> yeah, I tried to own that. I tried to do the whole owning a house thing once, and that okay. just didn't work out. <laughs> uh, what was that because of the nature of the job, or did, like, did you get bored just staying in one place? Exactly. You get bored of staying in one place and uh, uh, all of the uh, details that have to come with owning a home, such as mowing a lawn and vacuuming and cleaning yeah. and doing all the housework is just yeah. stuff I never had time to do. So, Okay. Yeah. I mean, as as a homeowner, that is, I mean, it's uh, stuff that I have to force time with for, exactly. uh, <laughs> but it is, um, yeah, I can see, especially if you just have i guess the mind or or have the 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 drive to explore you know explore um what's what's one of the most uh let's see i, I don't know how to phrase this question i'm, I'm not sure what i want to ask here what's one of the most uh interesting places that you've been uh and 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 why like what was so exotic about it guam i was stationed there for a while it was a pretty interesting place. Uh, I was there with the Navy, and that was sometime around early in 1990s. Okay. And uh, the, uh, the people there are, have their own definite culture and uh, a very unique. But uh, Guam was wonderful in the way that it kind of reminded me of basically old world U.S. Uh, it was literally like being in the Old West. Oh, okay. That's yeah. – that's, uh, that's very interesting. Uh, I would never, I would never think of another, um, like a foreign place, like feeling like old, old West U.S. You know, it was mostly because um, of the way the the culture is there. Okay. Um, I mean, it is a uh, also like a resort area, uh, similar oh, to okay. yeah, yeah. similar to Hawaii in some respects. But uh, they have gun clubs on just about every corner. And they have people that walk around with guns, so that's that's in the the reference to the whole old west style. Oh, okay. So, oh, okay. So are they? Um, I guess like the exposed. The, you know, it's not. Um, it's not. Uh, you know, 
they carry it on their hip, Old West style kind of yeah. deal. In a lot of cases, um, and, and in a lot of cases, they do have concealed as well. But it's a, it's a, basic, basically the culture revolving around these gun clubs is all Old West style. So they like doing the, the shoot 'em ups and things like that. Oh, that's that's kind of cool. I, I I can see how that's like a real because I, I I would have to I don't know is a, a man that loves space also a, a a man that loves like that old west because uh, they seem like two vastly different things like futuristic are and... they really <laughs> they also mm, have the that... uh, explorer mentality in mind I mean that's what the old west was all about exploration okay. good and. You know, that's you say that. And as soon as as soon as I said what I said and you said, are they? It brings to mind. And, I, you know, this may not have been a, a thing on your radar, a because maybe you weren't around. But the show Firefly that awesome. was on for, yeah, a season. Great show. So, you know, yeah, that's basically the old West in space. So, yeah, at the same time of them being different, they are actually very similar. I And I don't know, being a fan of Firefly, don't know how I did not connect that before right now um so is it when you're in your travels whether you know when it, you know back when you were in in that in service or as a, a contractor uh i get and i would have to imagine that you are easily adaptable but like how how is it adapting to these new locations and and i, I don't know I, I guess because if if you're doing work for 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 the gut you know for the, the the government the army whatever um i guess you're you're in areas that are you know u.s based or if that makes sense but um you're still exposed to those those outside cultures that that's not the you know what you were born and raised into so right. how is it i guess i guess my question is as a person who has done this for probably most of your life at this point is it just kind of like second nature to quickly kind of adapt and, and not have like a culture shock? I don't, I suppose. Uh, I never really noticed a culture shock from, from any of my journeys. I actually look forward to uh, uh, new cultures, seeing new things. Uh, I, I am firmly in the American culture, uh, but uh, seeing other cultures is a very unique experience. Uh, meeting people from from other walks of life that have different ideals than maybe we do or different dreams and aspirations but in a way people around the world are the exact same as people in the uh, u.s uh, culture divides us but uh, dreams and uh, prosperity unite us that's uh very very well said that's uh, yeah um I, I like to when I talk to people that that travel uh, and and you know well more than I have ever traveled. Like I said, I, I think the most exact. Well, I mean, I, I've taken a couple of vacations to Mexico and and uh, Jamaica, obviously, but um, that's always like in a resort area where it's very American friendly for the most right. part. Um, so, I mean, outside of that, outside of being in a resort, the, 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 the biggest, you know, most quote unquote exotic place I've been to would be Canada. And I, I don't think we can classify that as being necessarily exotic, uh, at least the East coast of, uh, Canada where I've been. So like for me, traveling has always been like, oh, it's just kind of like another version of America or another version of Philadelphia. Right. So when I talk to guys that do all the traveling, it's it's interesting getting their um, 
aspects on uh on the on the culture the different cultures and i don't think anyone's ever really phrased it like you saying that you know it's different but everyone is actually kind of the same with that they all have dreams and and whatnot um i don't think everyone's anyone's ever phrased it that way um that's that's just a unique uh, i think outlook it's a good one (laughs) um so when throughout your years uh did did I, I you said your father was into the sci, you know science fiction so did you gravitate towards that um as well uh you're not just enjoying the the realistic um aspects of space but enjoying the fictional aspects well i enjoy the fictional aspects too uh, uh, like you i'm a fan of star wars as well uh firefly i watched uh and i'm into all the uh, various uh, science fiction genre uh, but I'm also a historian at heart as well. Uh, I like okay. history and following history and seeing where we came from, which helps show us where we're going. Uh, yeah, you know, that is, oddly enough, something I don't think was beat into me enough in school. It's something that you kind of learn when you get out of school. and and Because I, 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 now I wouldn't call myself a history buff, but I've always enjoyed that that like i was never a big fan of school yeah, neither uh, was I. it's great yeah it's it's great for people that that love school and, and and i guess need that kind of structure but you know i i went to college for a little bit dropped out uh and years later i'm, I'm in and out going back trying to just slowly work up to get that degree of mine but i've never been like a big fan of it uh which you know, I, I, I feel like that's like that's not a bad thing. And, and you just said you weren't a, a fan of it as well. Uh, what was it about school that you didn't like? Uh, the teachers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I don't uh, for me, it was I don't know. I just was I, I always am, um, I guess it could be that too with the teachers. It was I always feel like I'm a. Uh, even in my current job, when I'm like, I have to sit through a training, I, I always dread it because like, I'd rather just sit down and by myself and watch a video or read a book and or, learn it on or, your own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, learning it on your own for me seems like the best way to do it, uh, yeah. to get your hands dirty. That's exactly uh, what, I, what I do in, in uh, most cases. Yeah, I mean, and and that's uh, especially in today's world. Like, I, so I'm a I'm a I work with computers, uh, which you know my current job actually is far less than that. But my previous jobs, I would call myself like a network administrator, um, and like the, to me that job is all like with the, the way technology changes. It's always like I work with guys that are like, well, how do I do this? How do I do that? How do I fix this? It's like, well, I mean, look at it, figure it out. If you can't, like, there is like the beautiful thing about 2016 is that there's Google, like you can just type in your issue and you can find someone that's already had that issue and read through the article, watch the video and absorb that information yourself to, to learn it. And then, and then go apply that fix versus me telling you how to do it. You're not going to learn anything. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, school for me, like history was the (coughs) one class that I would look forward to. And I think even more so uh, in, in those early years of college I, I took, 
you know, I was, you know, taking American history one and two. Like I just, I really enjoyed that. And I think that's where I learned that, like that mindset of, you know, knowing our past uh, leads us through our future. It's definitely not something that I think was beat into me in, in high school or anything. It's something that between college and I, and, and mostly myself, I think that's something you learn on your journey. Absolutely. Um, so uh, your, your, uh, company global space organization, uh, let's talk a little bit more about space and, and what you're, what you're doing with that. So what is, I know, um, you know, your, your big mission seems like to be getting humans back out into space, starting with the moon. So what's, what's like, what made you a form this company and B uh, like, what's the game plan? What, what are what are your hopes and dreams that that's going to happen with, with uh, GSO? Yeah. Forming the company, uh, I'm pretty straightforward issue there. Uh, I have issue with uh, the governments of the world that basically decided they were going to stop going into space with uh, humans, uh, particularly NASA. Uh, there have been vague attempts throughout the uh, last several decades since we did the Apollo program where, where they thought about going back to the moon but just never done it. And I can't really blame the government for it because they really don't have any reason to go. And that's part of the issue. And because governments of the world don't have a reason to go, why spend the money to do it? And they have all of these other programs. They have to worry about all of the issues across the world. So relying on a government agency uh, to go to the moon is has been difficult for uh, many in the uh, in the industry, uh, difficult on NASA itself, because many of the employees do desire to see humans back out in space. But uh, the, the overall leadership, the all, overall politics behind it uh, stymie it. So mm-hmm. basically the, the order of the day for space programs, uh, especially governmental space programs, is, is lesser is more. In other words, less send probes, because probes don't cost as much as sending a human into space. Uh, so basically, the path into space is is commercial, and is going to have to be commercial. Yeah, when you look back through history, it's is pretty much the same same deal. Uh, uh, colonists that uh, crossed the United the, the United States frontier back in the early 1800s and late 1700s uh, oftentimes were funded by corporations to blaze trails and look for new products such as furs. Uh, to sell on market. And then when those trails are blazed, the government would follow. And that's how the space arena is going to is going to proceed. Uh, corporations will advance space progress. And then uh, at some point, the government will follow along with their along with their people. Uh, there's so basically the reason why I did start GSO when I did, uh, it's been an idea that has been percolating in my mind since the late 90s. Uh, uh, what what would it take to get humans back into space? And uh, uh, I determined that possibly a corporation, especially the larger corporations that have lots of money uh, to throw away, uh, could actually handle, especially if there were several companies involved, uh, the, the high costs. And uh, between those several companies, those high costs can be mitigated and brought down so that each company could afford their fair share and still have assets in space. So I began developing a plan to form GSO uh, at least a couple decades ago, and then uh, Elon Musk came on the scene with SpaceX and launched a mission to the International Space Station that was successful in 2012. And basically, the only uh, 
The only block I could foresee with a company going into space was that uh, the arena was owned by government at the time. But in 2012, that all changed. And when it changed is when I formed GSO. And here we are today. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, what is the... So obviously one of your goals is to to bring us back to the moon. What, Correct. What are your... What are your steps to get there? Yeah. Uh, for the last uh, few years, since 2012, the GSO is getting its, its message out. Um, and the reason for this is, uh, one, you have to be known to be seen by the big players. And when I talk about the big players, I'm talking about not the players in the space community because they can't really help me. Uh, they don't have the funding to help me. Uh, going to the moon is, is big business. I'm talking large scale. I'm talking not only building a station on the moon, uh, uh, that other people are talking about that'll house like maybe four astronauts up to 12. I'm talking about uh, building a station on the moon and bringing hundreds to the moon by 2030. So an ever expanding oh, wow. station. Uh, this is going to cost quite a bit of money. Uh, yeah. But when you, when you figure the costs in billions of dollars, which I estimate around $6 billion a year to, to uh, cover an ever expanding station, uh, what we have is... Uh, uh, you, you can look into other categories of where the world spends large large amounts of money, uh, especially when you talk in advertising dollars from Coca-Cola Corporation or McDonald's or all of the sponsors for the Olympics, which in 2014 mm -hmm. spent close to $50 billion just for that one year. Uh, the money's easy to come by uh, if you can portray the goal to those entities that have the money that it would be worthwhile and beneficial to them. So the process uh, of the last four four years or so is getting our name out uh, so that we can be seen by these entities we're trying to attract and uh, develop a program so that they see we have an asset that will help them and then prove to them that we can conduct what we're going to do, the mission, in order to get their businesses into space and on the moon so that they can operate productively and uh, earn a revenue. And that's been the goal. And uh, our goal's been advancing. Uh, we're getting ready to implement GSO Earth Station 1, which is basically our training station here on Earth, which we plan to develop in 3D print in uh, Arizona, in the desert. And from there, using the station, we will train as we go, as it were, so that we can teach our crews how to operate the station, its life support systems, its power systems management, and formulate our operational doctrines so that when we get to the moon, we can hit the ground running and get these businesses uh, profitable on its surface. So, so Earth Station 1 sounds like it would basically be the same thing that you plan on putting onto the moon. Um, Correct. It's, it's just so that they can train here. Yes, and it'll also act as a, a model for what we can do so that we can show these major players that this is what we intend to do, this is how easily we can do it, and this is how easily we can do it on the moon. So, so with um, with uh, Lunar Station 1, is like the idea to... Because when you said like hundreds of people, that, like, that just that kind of blew my mind of like opening up... Uh, many doors is is it kind of i guess like the first steps into like creating I, I guess like homes on the moon like making it a place of not just travel but possibly you know obviously work and and life 
At, at some point, yes. In the beginning, our, our crews, there's a lot of uh, particulars, uh, especially the hazards in space. When you're when you're talking space, the, the lunar surface, uh, we, we look at we look up at it. Uh, we know it doesn't have an atmosphere, but does that really click? What does that actually mean? It doesn't have an atmosphere. It has uh, zero pressure. Uh, so basically, you're you're confined to a living space that's pressurized. Uh, you also have to consider radiation. Uh, you have solar and cosmic radiation that bombard the lunar surface constantly. The astronauts felt it when uh, when they landed there on the Apollo missions. Uh, all of them were radiated to some degree and received cataracts as a result later in life. Uh, so these are hazards that have to be mitigated. Uh, these are hazards that actually have to be blocked. Uh, Part of that process is developing a station that has really thick walls, uh, utilizing lunar regulus to build them. Uh, the walls we're looking at and considering building are three meters thick, covering the entire station. And the reason for this is because that's the material that'll block pretty much all the the, the highest uh, uh, particle events from the sun or, the, or from the uh, actual solar system flying around. Uh, it'll block it cold so that uh, the astronauts stay safe and, and receive no radiation. We also have to consider micrometeorites, which were which are a hazard as well, and a station that thick will block them all. We're also considering uh, putting the station inside what's called a lunar lava tube. Uh, we have lava tubes all over Earth, uh, basically created by lava flows like a massive cavern, which are mm -hmm. reportedly all over the lunar surface, but we haven't actually been able to determine if any of the, uh, uh, the lunar rills that we see actually lead into a lunar lava tube. But that's uh, more research we'll be conducting on our on our goal of 2020. So, so the so I, I just want to go back to the the lunar lava tube. So the, I kind of sounds like basically you would be building with like uh, is it underground is, is like a cave like situation that you would be building the station in? If we can, like I said, if we can't, then we can still we can still be capable of building above ground with thick walls. Uh, if we build underground, our walls don't have to be as thick because the cave itself will have uh, uh, estimated from science and projections from from some holes they have found in the lunar surface that might lead into lunar lava tubes. They estimate the uh, ceiling of these structures could be about forty five feet thick, uh, more than enough, more than ample enough to protect against radiation and micrometeorites. So we could actually build basically a small city in one of them. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, Building. lava flows on the lunar surface uh, were created by, uh, uh, of course, meteorite impact millions of years ago. And uh, the lava flows basically expanded, created these cave-like structures. And then when the lava receded, they cooled and left these massive caves on the lunar surface. And they're bigger on the moon, supposedly, than on Earth due to the lower gravity. So, oh, did we lose you? Uh, I don't know. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. It went quiet for a second. Um, so, oh my God, there's it's just such a fascinating idea to to create basically a little society on the moon. How would that work? And I, and I guess this is where you're saying that kind of the government would follow the corporation. But how would that work in the in the sense of? You know, you're going up there, you're creating the Lunar Station 1. It's, it's, I guess, obviously owned by GSO, but like what governs it? Like what, and maybe this is well beyond. That's a very uh, great, before you continue that, that uh, the yeah. ownership aspect, the GSO is essentially going to be operating, I guess if you could call us anything, uh, we're not really aerospace, we're not a rocket company, uh, 
we're going to utilize rocket companies to get there. So in essence, we're going to be forming many partnerships. Uh, when we get to the moon, our, our role will be a service and support and uh, in essence, a construction because we're going to be constructing the station. We won't own the station. Uh, we'll be constructing the station for our partners. So uh, uh, the biggest okay. example I can think of right now is we want to develop a hotel uh, because tourism, of course, is going to bring in money. Uh, it's easy to estimate how much you can earn off of a, off of a resort hotel on the moon. Uh, I know how to get people there. I know how to bring them back. Uh, so GSO would be concerned with all of the support aspects of that operation, the construction of the hotel itself through 3D printing and uh, bringing the tourists to the moon for the company. The company in question that we're currently looking at is MGM Resorts International. Uh, bringing them to the surface of the moon and having them operate brings people because then they also have to have employees. So the employees would come there, operate the hotel. The tourists would come up every month. Uh, and from that industry, as well as the many other industries that we bring with us, uh, they will own their assets. So even though the GSO builds the hotel, we need the money to go to the moon in the first place. So in essence, we're not getting funded in, in, in the standard, standard way. We're getting paid for services instead. Okay. Okay. So, so, uh, and so to modify, like how would, and, and this probably is just me not knowing how things work even on earth. Uh, <laughs> how would that work? Like as a, as a governance, like, like who would, like, how would, I don't know. I, I don't know how to phrase this question. Like I don't, how, how would, um, I mean, how would, like, who would, wh who would, own governance, I guess is my question over what's happening. You know, I don't know if it's the questions on the moon or specifically in lunar station one. Well, in lunar station one, the station will be managed by GSO employees uh, because we, okay. as a support operation, will manage the life support systems to make sure everything's operating. Everybody stays safe. Uh, we'll also be managing the power systems. We'll be managing the thermal controls. We'll be managing the resupply operations, which will be massive. Uh, which is a good thing because it'll it'll create a lot of jobs here on Earth. Uh, so in that sort of essence, if you're if you're talking about uh, lunar leadership and law, that's not a role the GSO is adopting. Uh, the law is already in place and it's called international law, and that's the law, okay. the same same similar law that would uh, follow on the lunar surface. And and these laws were sort of implemented in the lunar treaties. There's at least two of them. They haven't all been ratified by all nations, uh, but the Moon Treaty uh, basically stands tall in, in the aspects of that the, the legal framework for, for operating on the Moon would fall under international law. Okay. All right. That makes that makes sense. Um, so it would be similar to like inter when you're in international waters, that, that, that kind of law. Correct. Is where, okay. Uh, that... I the answer was under my nose. That hundred that makes complete <laughs> sense now that you just spelled it out in front of me. Because um, I was like, it was just the the initially the thought was like what like what I don't know like what could happen up there as far as like like who could claim what. But yeah, now that that makes sense. Uh, and you so you mentioned something about life support and mm -hmm. and other things. Uh, so. I, I guess the idea would be that, and I don't know, I'm going to use very basic terminology here, but 
essentially like the station would be under a quote unquote bubble that would, so you wouldn't have to walk around in a spacesuit the whole time. Correct. Uh, and I, I guess that essentially would just kind of operate how like space stations currently operate. Then yeah. you can you can think of it uh, in terms of a submarine underwater. Um, it'll okay. be compartmentalized, but it won't be as tight and constrictive. Uh, there'll be more space because we can build on the moon from the lunar surface using lunar regolith as as our, as our building material. So we have time to develop a station that's uh, sizable and comfortable. Yeah, compartmentalized to ensure safety for for people in in a pressurized environment. And so it sounds like first steps would be like a tour as a tourism aspect of Lunar Station One, followed by necessarily. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, so what's what's for Lunar Station One? What would be the first? First steps for Lunar Station One. Science and sciences and research, more than likely, uh, probably be able to okay. uh, sell the idea and the concept of sciences, sciences and research and astronomy uh, companies and corporations uh, for that aspect, because there's a big drive in the science community to have uh, basically an astronomy station on the surface of the moon, especially on the dark side, uh, to be able to view out further throughout the uh, the universe that's not uh, blocked by the uh, the light surrounding Earth, as it were. Uh, in addition to that, uh, exploration could be big for companies that want to, or for science institutions or even government institutions that want to explore the surface of the moon, uh, learn more about it. Uh, and not only that, all of the companies that can benefit from operating in a low-pressure environment, uh, metallurgy for one and, and many others, uh, I also see another big draw for advertising, a big draw for mass media. Imagine the first news broadcast from the moon. Yeah. Yeah. Tourism I would, will have I would a, love yeah, tourism will have a big play, but there are many industries that can operate on the moon. So and how would um so obviously, you know, people that and this is kind of skipping ahead to like the tourism, but I, you know, uh, the question for both, obviously tourism, there's a plan, like they're going for a week or whatever, they come back. How would, uh, it work for people that, and I guess this is kind of just how people, uh, would, it would be fall under sim- similarities to when people are stationed in Antarctica, maybe, but, um, like what would be the game plan for people that go to work on the moon and are there for an indefinite, like say, Let's use your hotel as an example, like someone uh-huh. that, like a hotel manager, the hotel staff, like, do they end up, is the game plan they would end up living on the moon or they're there for X amount of time before they have to go back to earth for, I guess, I don't, I don't know if there's a reason to go back to earth if you're working on the moon. No, there, there is, uh, in, in space, especially in, uh, in low gravity areas, uh, especially on the international space station, uh, humans aren't adaptable to it at least not to a degree. Uh, we suffer bone loss. We also suffer muscle loss. Uh, staying up for a year is okay. Uh, you do have significant loss in bone in, in bone and muscle mass, uh, but there's nothing that you can't uh, uh, recover from after a few, few weeks of working out once you return to Earth and be under standard gravity. But under low gravity conditions, uh, we can't operate forever up there. So in the beginning, until we... In, in, implement a a pseudo gravity system by using a rotational habitats which will take a while to develop on the moon uh, will be under at least one sixth 
uh, of the uh, standard gravity on Earth. So it's not the same as being on the International Space Station. We'll have the capability of staying on the lunar surface longer, but living there probably won't happen yet, at least not for another decade or two. Uh, so, so they, so like, if I were to go up there and and, and work uh, at some in some place, it would be like as a x x amount of time contract before I would have to come back to Earth. Right, we're looking at recoup. six to nine month rotations. Okay, um, so so that you know expand that not only is the workforce expanding because there's going to be jobs on the moon but mm-hmm. you know you're going to have to cycle people out so it's really kind of expanding the workforce everywhere exactly uh, and um but that that now is going to um i guess you know how will will the GSO be involved in helping develop some sort of program for these companies that when an employee comes back, like what needs to happen to a recondition them uh, to, to, you know, earth's gravity, get them back into, you know, their, their muscle, as you said, their muscle, their bones, get them back up to standard healthy shape. Yeah. Um, will that be something that you guys help facilitate? Absolutely. Um, the people that we bring to the moon, we're going to be training. Uh, so basically a lot of people say in the, in the commercial space industry that the first people on the moon are going to be tourists. That's not really the case because we have to have all of the support for the tourists that are, that go up there. And so we're going to have quite a few, uh, workers on the lunar surface before tours, tourists even arrive. Uh, we'll be implementing a training program just like NASA does, uh, to ensure that, uh, the employees that do go up are physically fit and capable of being up there for, for long periods of time. In addition, uh, extensive med- medical coverage, uh, because leaving Earth, you still get, uh, radiation exposure. You get radiation, radiation exposure all the way to the moon. And, uh, while you're there, you might be protected in the habitat, but then you get radiation exposure all the way back. Uh, one of the things we're trying to uh, or planning to implement once we're on the lunar surface is developing a cis-lunar shuttle that's protected against radiation that we can develop right from the lunar surface, launch off a mag rail, and have it uh, basically uh, go to Earth orbit, pick up tourists in a, in a passenger cabin that gets dropped off in orbit, say from a Falcon 9 launch, and then... Uh, carry to uh, uh, the station so that they can stay protected better in route and back. Uh, but the, uh, the the physical aspects of being a lower gravity is once they once they return to Earth, they'll have to naturally go through a a physical and medical regimen to ensure that they they are okay from the trip. And is this going to also affect? Like, is that how? tourists are gonna like are they gonna have to go through a training to to go on you know take a vacation on the moon are they gonna have to do some sort of training or is the beginning beginning until we get these other aspects in place uh uh, the shuttles we're talking about we know we can create artificial gravity uh through uh through uh, rotation centripetal force Mm. so the the ship we create the shuttle will have basically a rotating wheel that will spin and provide gravity for the three-day journey to the moon. Uh, 
in essence, we want to employ the same thing on the lunar surface, uh, provided we have space and the materials necessary to do it. Uh, if not, it'll, it'll take some time. But uh, an actual rotating habitat that offsets the 1-6 uh, the gravity on the lunar surface so that uh, the spin makes up for the rest and gets standard uh, Earth gravity. When we implement that, that's uh, when humans can stay on the moon for forever. Oh, that's so I, I really like the idea, you know, going back to the, the, the shuttle, I like the idea of, so, so there would be a, you know, a rocket that would bring the, the tourists in a separate kind of shuttle bubble, uh, for lack of a better term into what you said, earth's orbit. And then, and then the lunar shuttle would like, kind of like, kind of like a crane, grab it and take it to to the moon is Correct. what is what you're that's and and that again for lack of a better term that that bubble that they'd be in uh which is you know it sounds like if it's a three-day journey it would be obviously much more expansive than that because they would have to be able to lay down and sleep and whatnot um mm. but that essentially would you know from what i'm understanding just allow them to live like they're on an RV for three days. Exactly. And we'll make it big enough that, and comfortable enough because that's in essence all they'll be. That supplies and the passenger cabin will be uh, roomy enough for them to stay comfortable in for three days. It, I, I can envision it uh, being from like a standard Falcon 9 launch instead of a Dragon Heavy launch or uh, the SLS that uh, NASA is proposing. Uh, the heavy lift vehicles are good, but if we have a system lunar shuttle, the heavy lift vehicles will no longer be necessary. Can you, um, for uh, myself included, for uh, the different kind of um, launches you just explained, the, the uh, Falcon and the Dragon uh, uh, launches, can you explain the differences? Well, a, a Falcon, uh, well, back in the Apollo era, uh, rockets can only lift so much weight into space. Uh, depending on the size of the rocket, uh, the more weight you try to lift, the more fuel you need to get the rocket into space. The more fuel you have, the more weight you add, so it's a balancing act. Uh, the Falcon 9 is your standard uh, lift vehicle uh, SpaceX has that launches satellites into orbit and can possibly launch uh, uh, seven astronauts to the International Space Station, but it's not enough... It wouldn't have enough juice to take uh, astronauts all the way to the moon. You'd run out of fuel. So uh, basically, it's it's centered towards uh, sending small objects into Earth orbit, whereas a Dragon Heavy, which is going to be similar to the uh, the uh, Saturn V rocket that we used to launch the Apollo astronauts to the moon and all of their equipment, uh, is the Dragon Heavy is a more powerful rocket where you could do the same thing and launch astronauts along with all their assets straight to the moon. Uh, the difference behind that really is cost. Uh, the Dragon Heavy is going to cost a lot more than a Falcon 9 launch, uh, quite a lot more. Uh, Elon Musk of SpaceX is planning to bring those, those Dragon Heavy costs down. He wants to drop the prices a lot, and I think he wants to drop them down to something like $90 million per launch. And if he does that, that'll be a game changer uh, for sure. Uh, we'll be able to reduce prices a lot more. More and more people will be able to go into space and onto the moon. Uh, but until then, the costs are still high. So uh, ways we can reduce those costs is is by allowing, like I said, a delivery service in orbit. <laughs> you drop them off in orbit, and you only need a, a smaller rocket, less fuel cost, less cost altogether, and I can achieve the same thing. 
what um and and this may be way too early but I, it sounds like you've done a lot of numbers uh what, what, do you have an idea as a tourist like if i wanted to say I, i'm going to go to the moon and let's let's say you know from now or or whenever like i have to do the training and all that how much would it cost someone to say i want to go on a week's vacation to the moon yeah it won't be a week it'll be a month um oh, okay and the price tag I'm looking at currently uh, uh, that can safely be charged at current prices for launch and lift and everything else is about $25 million a ticket for a month's stay on the moon. Now, would that be like kind of like an all-inclusive ticket? Like it's $25 million, everything's covered be after that? Or is it $25 million to get to the moon and then, you know, whatever kind of resort or... or I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming that once tourism begins, there's going to be some sort of resort um, mm-hmm. as part of Lunar Station One to, to make it a vacation. Would it be kind of like a sandals resort where it's all inclusive or something like that? It'll be all inclusive. Yeah. Oh, that's. At I mean, right now with the uh, with the uh, size of the operation we're looking at, we're looking at two launches per month. Uh, we're looking okay. at uh, at least four of the passengers from those two launches per month being reserved for tourists. Uh, we can probably bump that up. Uh, we'll also have uh, space available seating for more tourists. And at a base number of four tourists per month at $25 million a ticket, you're looking at a revenue of $1.2 billion annually. Yeah, that's... Uh, and, and, but, and that is... So I guess eventually, though, the, uh, and I don't know if this is just... Uh, a maybe my hope and goal or if, if this would be a GSO uh, goal, but um, to like get that ticket price down so that it's available to more and more people. I'll be able to drop uh, that ticket price down by quite a lot once we develop the shuttle. Okay. Uh, so, oh, cause so the, the initial tourism would have to be using that, that dragon rocket that you mentioned where it's correct. A lot costly. Yeah. Okay, so and once once you go down to where you can use the the Falcon Nine, I believe you said yep. it will. Okay, that's and Within then five years I hope to bring the prices down uh, under a million. Oh wow, fascinating. Yep. But um, the, uh, the better option in the beginning is to work because then you get paid to go to the moon. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that sounds like that's what it's, you know, if, if someone wants to go to the moon, it's, it's more so, well, let me get a job that's going to send me to the moon for a month at a time or however that work. However, so, so would it be like, initially it sounds like you go there, would a worker go there for a month or you said six to nine months, maybe six to nine months. We're also going to allow, because we can stay longer on the moon than we can on the international space station. We're also going to allow bonuses for people that want to stay longer. Oh, fascinating. Uh, what about, um, would there, f- for like people that are going to go work on the moon that have families, what, how, how would that work? Yeah, would, in, the beginning, a- they, in the beginning, they probably won't be able to bring their families, unfortunately. But uh, later on, as, as the station expands, and keep in mind, I intend to continue expanding it. Uh, the moon is just our first goal, by the way. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely want to get into because uh, you know you definitely said beginning with the moon. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to get into to more of that um, uh, for sure. So, mm-hmm. um, so so lunar space station one. Uh, 
it sounds like such a fascinating I, and ju- I mean not just the the I mean even from the beginning it sounds fascinating but the overall goal and, it's, and even though it's ever expanding it's just kind of what I'm picturing in my mind which is something that I guess you know um you know the Star Wars kid in me or or even just like the as an adult, like just kind of fancying the idea of like, wouldn't it be cool to live on the moon or something? It sounds like, you know, that is just an awesome little dream, um, turning reality that, that GSO is, is going for, uh, to, to bring life to the moon. And, 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 you know, I guess really, um, this could be a, a, even a great way to help, um, the, the homeless problem, if, if they, you know, with, even if they end up getting trained in jobs that would keep them on earth, obviously if they can get to help out there, hopefully that would turn their life around and not, you know, you know, help solve the homeless problem. I suppose. Well, one of the, yeah, uh... that's, that's just a, a random thought I had as I was, as I was talking that, that out. In a way, you're not uh, you're not half wrong. Um, a, a lot of people think uh, today uh, that uh, to go into space you have to be um, uh, a pilot or uh, a nuclear physicist or some major scientist. Uh, if you're working for the government, the NASA program, yeah, you kind of have to be. Uh, the program we're looking at, however, we don't necessarily need that level of experience starting. Uh, mm. Sure, we'll have we'll have some of those individuals hired to develop the systems we need to operate, such as a life support system complex, uh, power systems. Uh, we'll need experts to help develop those for our station. Uh, but those systems are already created. Uh, companies like Honeywell, VAE, uh, Paragon uh, Space Development Company. All of these companies have these assets, and they've created them already. So, in essence, the GSO doesn't really need these high-level experts. We do in certain categories, such as training, uh, the medical field, uh, uh, things of that nature. But the systems that we're going to implement, they're already known, they're already built. Uh, Once we acquire them, we ourselves will develop a training program for new hires to be able to operate those systems, understand those systems, and in some cases be able to even construct those systems themselves on the fly on the surface of the moon. They're going to learn the entire station inside and out so that uh, uh, their main goal is making sure and ensuring all of these very important systems stay operational. So pretty much anybody, everything from a college student to a high school graduate that could potentially enter this program and learn everything they need to know through our training processes to operate on the moon and and have a job working there. So we, in in essence, open this category of work or this dream, as as you've mentioned it, to the world. Yeah, I, I, and what I love that you said is that it, it is avail. It would be available to someone that has a high school education, to someone that maybe is, you know, just a base college education or, or maybe a college dropout or whatever. Because that's, you know, you and I have, earlier in the interview had mentioned that like you know school isn't for everybody, and I think that, um, you know, I've been very lucky as a college dropout to to <laughs> be where I'm at today. Uh, because even in the IT field, whereas maybe when I first started out about uh, 
10, 11 years ago. Like it was kind of okay to not have that degree. Um, you still had to you know, work really hard to get that job without that, that degree. But you know, it's, it's one of those fields that as time's gone on, it's like, they really respect that piece of paper. But I, I, I respect companies that, you know, won't look for that. They're looking for just a, whether it's a good individual or, or a talented individual or whatever it is. Um, I like, I love the idea that the GSO um, is opening the horizon beyond like you have to have a master's degree to get to the moon and work on the moon. I love it that it's going to be, you know, a kid who, who just, I, I, I wasn't bad in school. I just didn't enjoy it. And, and, and you know, uh, you know, 10 you know, I don't know how long, I guess I've been out of school for a while now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, uh, I, it's so long that I've lost count, uh, that more than 10 years I've been out of high school. Uh, and, and I'm going back to school. Like, you know, I, I feel like I'm in my forever home as far as my career, but I still feel like I have to go back to school to get that degree just to have it in case something happens. Um, but the GSO is kind of opening those doors and I think that's really great. That's like a really, um, admiral thing to do to to help out you know those kids that just don't have I don't want to call it drive because that's that's not that's incorrect just they don't feel like they need it they feel like they have a better way to to teach themselves what they want to do not everybody learns through through a, a standard uh, teaching program everybody learns differently yeah yeah uh, exactly um, as uh, as we round out this first hour um, I do want to um, just mention your uh, your website and your Facebook page. Um, I do I do want to continue talking for a little bit more. This is definitely going to be at least a two parter episode for us. Sounds good. Um, but uh, I I feel like uh, I want to go a little bit more um, for tonight, uh, and then maybe we have to do have a second recording session because of our nine hour time difference here. But. Um, so, uh, real quick before we round out the hour, uh, gso-space.org uh, or facebook.com slash global space organization is um, a couple of the spaces that uh, people can find you to get more information about what GSO, Global Space Organization, is all about. Is there anywhere else people can find GSO or yourself? Uh, those are the two main. We do have a uh, we do have a Twitter page. We don't utilize that often. Uh, we've just set up an Instagram page for our pending uh, crowdfund for Earth Station One, uh, and we're getting the website revamped soon so that we can prepare for for our uh, crowdfund campaign. I'll tell you what, you're, the, the Instagram could be probably one of the most instra- interesting Instagrams. Uh, you know, even for Earth Station One, but I'm thinking, I'm of course thinking of of the Moon, and and like that could be one of the most, it, for me at least, and I guess any, I mean, who who would not love to follow that Instagram and just see awesome pictures of space and and the construction. I'm not big into like how you know uh, construction and whatnot, but the idea of constructing something on the moon is wildly fascinating. Uh-huh. Uh, and definitely I think would be, I mean, it would probably become one of my favorite Instagrams to watch just the, the cool pictures that you would get from it. Indeed. Um, all right. So real, uh, before we, we end our first session here, I do want to kind of start the conversation um, about uh, beyond the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you know, it's, we, we've, we said it a few times, 
GSO wants to send uh, humans out into deep space, beginning with the moon. What Correct. does that mean? What What's beyond the moon? Well, the moon, uh, unlike the uh, the Mars first crowd, uh, has to be the first stop. Uh, there's just no way around it. Uh, even Elon Musk, who just had his uh, recent speech in uh, in uh, the last uh, space conference, I believe it was in Colombia or Mexico, uh, stated that the first crew going to Mars is more than likely going to die. Uh, and that's pretty much a factual statement. Uh, there, Mars is something like a seven to, to a nine month trip at its lowest oh, wow. point of, uh, of orbit. Uh, Musk is claiming he can send him in 80 days. I don't see how that's possible. And he wants to send a hundred people at a time. Uh, I think he's got big dreams and, and he's claiming if the first crew goes there, they're all going to die. That means he's going to kill off a hundred people. Uh, I don't think he's quite going to do anything like that, but uh, because Mars is so far, and this is what I tell people constantly that tell me I should be considering Mars first, uh, and they do that because Mars has a slight atmosphere. Okay. Uh, it's very slight. And uh, according to all of the big wigs in the Mars first crowd, you can grow food there. You can't really because the soil is bombarded by uh, radiation. You're going to have a very difficult time growing food there. Uh, since the ground is being bombarded by radiation, it's blocked a little bit from the uh, from the Martian uh, magnetic field, so it's not as significant as as the moon. It's still a threat, and the biggest problem, however, is that long trip because during that entire trip, uh, we can we can only launch so much weight into space at a time, and it costs a significant amount to launch weight into space. Our ships won't be designed significantly enough to protect uh, crews against uh, 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 solar and cosmic radiation. So the crew is going to get bombarded by radiation no matter what during that entire trip. The reason why it wasn't really a hazard for the Apollo crews is because it was only a three-day trip there, a three-day trip back, and they maybe stayed on the moon for three days. So they were bombarded right by radiation for about nine days total. Uh, radiation becomes a hazard through uh, the, the, the level of radiation you receive to the length of time you receive it. So uh, uh, the crews, uh, even if they survive the trip to the moon, they're going to be uh, irradiated a lot more than they should. Uh, they'll probably arri uh, arrive weak because they'll be in a zero-pressure environment for that entire time. Uh, and they probably won't be much good to survive. And even if they are able to set up systems in place beforehand, they have one crop failure, they're done. There's no resupply operation to Mars. It's too far away. Uh, the biggest uh, issue uh, I foresee of any Mars program currently is because of the massive cost, uh, there is no return on investment. There's no way you can make money off of Mars because it's so far away. Uh, so the only goal for going to Mars is just to colonize it. That means you need to send lots of people. Um, but uh, those people need support. Uh, when the uh, Roanoke colony was lost, uh, I use this this uh, this uh, example constantly. The Roanoke colony failed and became the lost colony in the United States because it had no support for up to like three years. Uh, they had no returning crew vessels to help support it and supply it provisions, and they died out, or they blended in with the native population and disappeared. Um, Mars will be our first Roanoke colony if we go there first without support. And that support comes from, like I said, the moon. The moon has to be first. It's closest to us. It's only a three-day trip. Uh, with modern technology, we might be able to even reduce that trip uh, uh, a, a little bit more, maybe a, maybe a two, two-and-a-half-day trip. Uh, 
uh, is close enough that uh, if uh, a major problem happened, we can send assets into space and collect those uh, those crew members and bring them back. Uh, so Mars is safer. Mars is easy to resupply. Uh, anything it needs, even if we run short on, is is a th- is a three day a resupply mission away. So mm. the moon has to be first. From yeah. there, that... from there, it'll turn into a platform of operations that can uh, resupply the Mars. Because uh, I mentioned before that uh, we can launch the shuttle from the uh, lunar surface via MagRail. We can do the same thing with supri- uh, supply containers. We can launch them via MagRail at speed, whatever speed we want, uh, to be able to achieve Martian orbit. So we can send supplies on the fly with uh, no fuel have it uh, grabbed by the Martian orbit, and then a shuttle from, from the Martian uh, 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 in Martian orbit can grab those supplies and, and take them to the surface. So everything, uh, uh, all of our goals in deep space uh, have to begin with our moon. The moon will become our future port of operations. That's why it's going to be an ever-expanding station, because as more and more businesses uh, head to the moon so that they can conduct operations from there and further out, uh, the first uh, notational area that I, I'm looking at and focusing on is the asteroid belt, simply because the asteroid belt has uh, water. Water is very important. It's pr- abundant uh, throughout the solar system. A lot of people don't know that, uh, mostly in ice chunks uh, uh, in the asteroid belt. But that water is going to be a very important uh, uh, resource to utilize for fuel and, of course, water and life support systems. So does that answer your question so far? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the a lot of information. So yeah, no, I, so, so, cause obviously the moon, you have to create, um, everything you have to, or, or supply everything. Cause there, I mean, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but there's, there's no water on the moon. There's no anything on the moon that could help you survive. So, um, I get hey, I want to go back to something you said about, um, uh, Mars, how you can't grow food on there right away because of all the radiation. How is that? Are you are is there plans for the GSO to grow food on like have like little farms on the moon in this lunar station? In the lunar station, uh, food in the beginning is going to be. <laughs> this is what I, this is what I love about the space community. Uh, uh, they uh, they say constantly that future astronauts are going to become vegetarians uh, simply because. There's really no safe way to bring animals into safe into, into space, and then when you also consider animals uh, polluting a a pressurized system, as it were, there's there's no openness. So in a way, it's kind of cruel uh, to think about bringing animals into space and being in a low pressure environment when when humans can think and calculate and and devise. Animals can't in in that uh, regards. Animals may eventually go into space when we have systems capable of of supporting them, uh, and uh, and and some gravitational systems that allow them. Uh, but in the meantime, the food that will be grown on the moon will be limited, and uh, uh, making people eat nothing but uh, uh, plant plant life that's grown on the moon is. Is just not going to work. That's why I keep harping on the fact that there has to be a very active resupply operation. People want their candy bars. People want their steaks. People want this. People want that. And uh, it'll be uncomfortable for anybody living up there uh, to be basically relegated to what would amount to be a vegan diet. So mm-hmm. one of the major goals of the GSO is to build and develop through partnerships a massive 
uh, resupply operation. And like I said before, uh, uh, the detractors being the cost in launch, but we're going to mitigate those costs by having many, many corporate partners join us in this goal so that we have assets on the moon for them. They can operate, they can earn a profit, their costs are low, and then we'll be able to also, with that money, support a massive resupply operation to bring the needed items that people are used to and that people want. And those same resupply, uh, I mean, you, you also consider from resupply operation or resupply idea, people like their mail. Uh, mail operations to the moon. We make a deal with FedEx to uh, to uh, package uh, uh, mail in specific ways so that it can be taken to the moon. Uh, one of the ideas is uh, plastics can't be found on the moon, uh, various polymers that could be needed for systems, uh, especially insulation from radiation. Uh, packaging could be all of polymers so that when the package comes up, the individual gets their package, we get the plastic so that we can reutilize it on the surface of the moon. All of these factors can go into play, uh, uh, including the MagRail that can then launch all of these resupply operations to Mars so that when a group does get to Mars, they have an active resupply operation so that they can survive. Okay, so uh, I want to I want to unpack a couple things. Uh, so I I, I, so I want to go I want to stay on the food for a second. So would would there be a plan to like basically outsource anything that's not vegan and have vegan life? Not, well, yeah, have have vegan vegetables and all and and fruit and whatnot grown on the moon. Well, Is that possible? I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, certain plants uh, have been known, at least through uh, NASA, to thrive in space, especially grown in zero gravity. Uh, I believe oh, wow. tomatoes is one of them. Um, so we can grow plants. Uh, plants are going to be, oops, excuse me, plants are going to be grown uh, simply also because uh, uh, they also produce oxygen and uh, they act as a very natural carbon filter for the atmosphere. So we are going to have a very ha uh, healthy uh, food growth lab. Uh, for that very purpose, and it's going to expand. And uh, uh, so, if you are a vegan and you're working on the, on the moon, you're going to have plenty of food. And then, and also, just a supplement for like, if you know, for so, for instance, let's let's use the McDonald's example. Maybe they don't have to uh, import uh, like vegetables that they use for the lettuce or the or the tomato uh, that that they offer on their burger. They just have to import the meat and. Exactly. whatever else they need yeah so okay uh that, that's that was the vibe i was getting um now and i kind of want to i kind of want to save uh, a lot of the mars talk maybe for for the next episode but uh we maybe we can leave this as like a little teaser um because mm -hmm. you you know we, we mentioned mars you know first not being an option uh but using uh the lunar station as a resupply uh, for for Mars, I, I have two questions in regards to to Mars before we kind of um, fully go on that conversation in the next episode. Mm -hmm. uh, one, uh, are you is is GSO would would do you have a, a long term plan beyond the lunar station to have a Mars a GSO Mars station? Absolutely. And okay, uh, and and we can talk in detail about that in the next episode that, that, that absolutely answers perfect for now. That's a nice little teaser. Um, but, and I guess is the, would that be your, would that be the plan uh, before 
uh, sending, you know, resupplies to Mars? Like, w- would you send res- would, would uh, GSO send resupplies to, let's say, someone else? So let's say Mars first has a successful uh, colony set up on or a station set up on Mars. Would would uh, GSO um, be resupplying not just the, the Mars station for GSO, but the SpaceX station, for instance? Absolutely. We'd be supplying anybody that needed it. Perfect. Um, I I want to, I, you know, I, I do want to get more into Mars and your thoughts. And maybe even if there's, I feel like maybe you, maybe there's something beyond that. I'm not sure. Mars, um, is, let's uh, save Mars is just another stop. <laughs> okay, cool. So, so perfect. I want to, I want to talk more about that. Um, maybe I have some other notes that I, I, well, I have one other note that I jotted down that I, I feel is going to be appropriate for the next episode. Um, it gets, it, it, it goes on the little wild tangents I like to go on on this show, uh, a little bit too. So, uh, I do want to talk more about Mars and beyond, maybe talk a little bit more, um, pop culture space stuff that's either inspired you or that you just are into. Um, I want to talk more about that on our next episode. Um, I, I do again. Uh, I know we we plugged it a few minutes ago, but make sure you check out. Uh, let me scroll down here. GSO space dot org, uh, Facebook dot com slash global space organization. Uh, I'm certain that those uh, places, once you have your uh, Instagram up and running for for Earth Station One, uh, I'm sure the links will be on those, so so people can find them there. Um, for for part one of this episode, uh, thank you for uh speaking with us on everything is awesome here uh truly this is um one of the 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 coolest discussions i've had because it's not not just usually my my conversations about space on this show revolve around star wars and the force awakens so uh it's not usually in like a serious in-depth uh sciencey kind of conversation it's usually more pop culture and stuff uh, which I want to get into some of that stuff in the next episode, but uh, I do want to talk about your mission and stuff. And, and uh, I, I really dig it. I really love the idea of um, a going back to the moon first, because that does you, you the way you explain it, it makes total sense, especially um, I, 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 I always try to the end of, end of the episode and we always go on a couple of other tangents, but like <laughs> you mentioned, you know, those first hundred people are going to die going to going to Mars is, is what um, Elon Musk said. Like the people that signed up for that, like I'm I since I've heard about that, I'm like, that sounds kind of crazy that like, yeah, I'm just going to go and never come back and I'm probably going to die, you know, whether it's on the surface or whether it's in orbit, like I'm just going to go like it. I, I don't know. Maybe that's the. um the this the the selfishness that i have that i don't want to ever die <laughs> so yeah. the idea of going to mars just to die like that blows my mind that there's a hundred people more than a hundred people but a hundred people specifically are going to be the like willing to do that first yeah i'm sure they'll find them too <laughs> so all right um we will be back uh, next week, uh, as far as the audience is concerned, to uh, continue our conversation about the Global Space Organization uh, with, oh my God, and we, it's been it's literally an hour and so since I've had to say your name. So, Cade? Cade, yes. Cade, God, I'm going to get it. It's, it's, I just no, need to remember it. that the 
yeah i i oh no i know i just need to remember i need to be um i need to remember that this the c is is a k that's all i gotta remember uh all right thank you Cade, for um for being on this first part of uh of everything is awesome uh and we'll be back next week to talk mars and beyond right here on everything is awesome only on awesomepodcast.com